What's up, guys? I am Caleb Giddings. I'm Keith. And I'm Jack. Still in space. And, yeah, Jack is still in an X-Wing. That is an X-Wing, right? Like yes, you gotta, yes. Oh, yeah, you can see that. You can the, see my uh, engines back here. I had a Y-Wing one, but it looks very boring. You can't really tell what I'm in. So I got it. Uh, I had the best idea for a uh, my second Star Wars-themed tattoo, which is a picture of a y-wing but done in kind of the traditional style as this uh han solo blaster and then the words under it fly low fly slow uh i was actually going to get um i'm getting two but i'm getting a a y-wing with gold leader standing by um Big, the the Y wing profile is such an awesome looking ship. Like yeah. I've got a I've got it's, a buddy who has a B wing tattoo, oh. and his thing is like I saw that and I'm like, I really want a Y wing, and I really want a tall geese too, and I'm trying to think about a way to make those a combined tattoo. Like, do do it into one, dude. How cool would it be? Like you'd have to be really committed, but you could do like a full on Y wing back piece where it like. The, the it starts up here and then goes all the way down. The nacelles come down over your kidneys. Yeah, I'm 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 done getting tattoos for a little bit. I uh, I went and got two tattoos randomly. I got my chest tattooed, and, and that was the most painful experience I've had in a very long time. Like uh, across, like the uh, it's I I know this won't like it's this, but I want you to consider how big my hand is. Right. So over the left pectoral. Yeah, uh, my whole you know, my whole left pec is tattooed now. That's exciting. And they're like, hey, when do you want to do the color and stuff on it? I'm like, never. You're like, approximately not ever, ever, ever. It'll did be you, when I forget how much it hurts. Did you get so is it like a picture of Moana? Is that what it is? Like um, it is is actually a, a long ship breaking through the storm with my oh. personal. My my personal rune. Not a vampire with a nerf gun? Nope, nope, <laughs> no. Uh... To commemorate the great almost battle. <laughs> Today in inside jokes, I got inside jokes. <laughs> but what we are actually talking about this week is uh memes, but not well, I mean it was a meme, but it was a meme based in reality. Uh, I was uh, trying to come up with content the other day and I got this idea to do a haha funny Instagram post where I'd post like a 2011 open gun, you know, which was open USPSA gun, which, you know, optic compensator, all of that stuff. And, you know, say 2011 guys, not a 2011. (laughs) No, a 2011. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to confuse people. I think I put 2001, but anyway, uh, competition a competition race gun from like 10, 20 years ago. And then like a serious fighting gun from 10, 20 years ago is just like a Glock 17. And then the next one was a serious fighting gun from 2022 is a Roland special or a staccato with a comp and a dot and a flashlight on it. And a competition gun now is a Glock 34 for production division. And it's a funny meme because it's true, but it also illustrates one of the things that I have been saying you know, over and over again is how you, and you can see it now better than ever, how competition has driven developments in the tactical and uh, concealed carry world. Well, it's the same, it's the same pipeline. Right. It seems to happen. It is high in competition stuff leads to special operations guns, which then immediately jumps to civilian enthusiasts. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it backfills to the military. Yep. Yeah. Like, that's 
almost exactly the pipeline that it goes. No, that, that's, that's it, it makes sense because of the speed of procurement and how many units the general military needs and for different, uh, for different roles. Because if the military needs to, if just the U.S. Army component needs to backfill 1.4 million units, that's a lot. But just doing a few hundred or up to a few thousand for special forces, and then an equal number or twice or even five times that number of civilian enthusiasts also pick up the shiny thing, you haven't even gotten 10% of what you need to backfill the U.S. Right. You can't even... That's not even a National Guard unit yet. Right. You're still at like, you're still at like, ah, we got a couple of companies set up here. Well, what's interesting about it is, you know, you have stuff like the, you, you, to, to explain this development, we started with, you know, competition sphere. They started mounting dots on gun on pistols back in the eighties. Right. And, you know, the big old Tasco pro points in the rings. And that eventually went to the Seymour which would be mounted on a 2011 style frame. And guys in the competition world were always looking for smaller, lighter, smaller, lighter until you got to, you know, the dots of today. The RMR obviously was the first time where somebody was like, I bet I can mount this to a slide. It didn't work because there's too much velocity. But then the RMR got better and it got better because it was being pushed both by development at the high level special warfare community, as well as competition guys who are like, we demand better dots. Like both of these because people. Because if we go back to the original RMR, the original RMR wasn't envisioned really as a slide mounted dot. It wasn't, it wasn't envisioned in the reciprocating role. It was envisioned in the fixed role. And a lot of the military ones were all fixed on, on rifles and on machine guns. I mean, so it was originally designed they, they mounted on top of an back ACOG. Yeah. They're like, hey, your height over bore isn't high enough yet. Let's put this on top of this. So Dude, that- I remember running 249 paras back in like 2009, 2010. And that already has an insane height over bore just because of how the saw is built. So you're already right. at like five inches with the with the ACOG, it feels like. And then they're like, how about six RMR? <laughs> Little did they know they were ahead of the heads up shooting trend that is now popular in the tactical <laughs> AR community. And it was a uh, 13 MOA dot. Yes, it was, it was enormous. Big it dot. Was, it was big. We did the triangles. We did the 12.9 triangles. So we had the big triangle and then you went down and we had the TA-11 with the horseshoe and the dot underneath it which after about four rounds, you'd lose the reticle because it's an ACOG and the box pretty fixed on that thing, so. Yeah, I never understood, like I, I actually love the ACOG. Like I have, a, there was, in my opinion, one of the best ACOGs was the little one and a half power one that they had. Oh, I love uh, that one. I've which had, you know, had who else, oh, really you know who else loved one and a half power ACOGs? Our sponsors. <laughs> did, did they yeah good job jack we're gonna do a little Ta-da! um <laughs> anyway I was, I was like what are we sorry, missing sorry guys missing. oh god the money protect the money <laughs> protect the money protect the money so what you guys missed oh, is we no, had about that, that 40... little i love the stats on that little one and a half power acog because Trijicon tries to be very precise with their stats. And so they're like, the eye relief is here and and the objective lens and everything like that. And then you pick it up and you're like, the eye relief on this is generous. It's wherever I want it to be. 
Like well, I, it was, I can find that reticle in a lot of places that I couldn't on like the uh, the TA thirty ones that the military favored. That one, those had pretty small eye boxes. Yeah. Really good clarity, but pretty small eye boxes. That little one and a half is like I'm basically a red dot guy. It's just you, you'll see well, it. And that was what was so great about it was it had the qualities of a red dot where it was fast up close, but you had just that that little smidge of magnification was nice. Like when you got into the you know, I was, uh, I, I had one on a car or a carbine down at gunsight. And when you got into shots at like 150, 200 ish, you're like, huh, I appreciate that little 0.5 X that's on there now. Thank it, you. It does, Slight it magnification. Does give you just that little, like, here you go. Yeah. It was it like a little. starts kicking at about 50 and then it goes out to 152. It's just like, oh, little bit of cheating. Just, yeah. just for fun. But just, just the right, right amount of cheating. As a cheat. Just, just, just the tip. Just as to see a, if she likes it. For us. Yeah, so, I, I love you, that little that little TA44. That's a nice little optic. Do you guys remember when there were more comped pistols than there were comped red dot pistols? Yes. Right? That, that was a really weird moment where people were like, I don't have the money to get my RMR mounted, but I do have the money to buy this pistol comp and see if oh, that works. I thought you were talking... Okay, so there's actually been three distinct periods where there were more comped pistols than dotted, comped and dotted pistols. So the first one of those, we're going to have fun with uh, the history of shooting sports development. So a long time ago when the earth was still cooling, there was only one division in USPSA. And it wasn't even called USPSA back then. It was still called IPSC, IPSC which uh, as a side... Better name, I'm, better name. I'm I, I, I do prefer IPSC. <laughs> I was, I'm listening to... Uh, uh, Brian Enos's book, Practice Shooting Beyond Fundamentals on audiobook uh, right now. And my entire life, everyone always just says IPSC, right? They just make it a word. Every time that comes up in the book, the narrator goes IPSC. And I'm like, please stop doing that. It's like <laughs> I, every time. IPSC. But anyway, so back in the day, there was only one division. There was open and it was anything goes. And the first thing that they did when they started moving past just regular tuned up 1911s was putting comps on their 1911s. And then, you know, in 38 Super, I actually had an old school open gun that was built by Wilson Combat on an auto ordnance frame. And I sold it stupidly, but it had a mag funnel, stendos for the 38 Supers, and then a big fatty single chamber expansion port comp on it. And let me tell you, that gun was a hoot to shoot. So that was like the first period of comped guns. And then those... No, and then you know, in the competition side, those eventually turned into comped dotted guns. Then we had the ported period. You guys remember when everything when it was port the oh world? my god, it yeah, was okay, port everything because Glock sites need to be carbon filled. Okay, so Glock 17C is probably the fastest gun I've ever shot in my life, faster than an 18C. Okay, so I've got a video of me shooting an 18C, and it's just basically like. <laughs> it, it, just, like, it runs i'm just like da, 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 da. i'm out of ammo guys yeah, yeah. I, I, I beat oh. the crap out of a plate that was like 20 yards down and the guy was like oh kind of got some recoil control there i'm like i have your legs for arms it's <laughs> not hard the difference but between jack i, I have what's called a physical abnormality which in this case is an advantage the difference between jack shooting a full auto glock and me is about 14 degrees of lean I'm like, <laughs> just all the way forward um so anyway so yeah the ported era was that was a thing because then there were 
everybody was making ported guns for a while. And it started with obviously Glock. Did you ever shoot the that also 357 SIG ported Glock? I did not, and I'm unpleasant. not. I, I, I saw I those. Unpleasant. I was working at store at the time, and I saw several. I I I loaded one up, um, and pulled the trigger without ear pro in, in oh, outdoors. Smart. Well, I was outdoors, so I felt like I was like okay to do it. It was like <laughs> someone had taken a ball peen hammer and smashed it into the side of my head. The worst. Like, oh, I, the worst I, one I of those that, that I did was this was also during the port the world era was i had a taurus tracker 357 magnum which has four inch barrel and is ported so not only do i get the cylinder gap i get the short the four inch barrel and the ports and i shot a uh full power 125 grand 357 magnum out of it also without hearing protection so i'm pretty sure that's why i can't hear my wife when she's calling me from the other room that, that uh, was that do that do be a suspect in that area I I remember during that time is that's when I started to see one of my first like, oh, gun people are special too events, and where I started seeing people put ported barrels in unported slides. Oh, that's fine. What could go wrong? <laughs> oh yeah, that is oh that that's a spicy meatball that you're <laughs> that you're playing with. Um, have you ever wanted an almost frag grenade? <laughs> do you hate your eyes get rid of them with one simple trick brought to you by glock trick. they're like brought to you by glock like, i don't cards. think you know how this works yeah brought no, to you by fair. credit cards and a lack of adult supervision yeah there's there's that but i mean it really was like the ported era was a weird one because you know everybody had you it was like it's kind of like it is now, how if you drop a new pistol and you don't have a red dot ready model for it available, you, you're already behind the curve, right? Mm -hmm. Back then, if you dropped a new gun and you didn't have a ported version of it available, you know, you were, you fucked up, son. I remember, and I remember this because I remember when the MNP Shield came out and people complained that there wasn't a ported model uh, on launch. Yes, and I'm like- I remember that too. <laughs> Why would you want this gun ported? That seems like a silly it's, idea. It's so small. And then Smith I, and Wesson said, "Okay, we'll make a ported forty for you, and it's going to shave lead. So get fucked." Every every time I would talk to a SWAT guy around that time, they ran ported guns for their shield guys, and. I don't know why that is something that I constantly remember, but I had that conversation like four or five times. Like, oh yeah, we run Glock 17s, Glock 17 Cs for the for the shield guys. And I'm like, why? Well, I mean, now I think why, but I also run a cop nine millimeter now, so I don't feel like I'm a place to judge. Oh, uh, fair enough. Fair I, enough. I just started running a cop nine millimeter because to get into the third era, to jump ahead, the third era. Now factory comps in slide. I think we're actually. I think we're on fourth. Yeah, I, we might be getting into the fourth. So no, third era, era is the aftermarket comps. Yeah, the KKMs, the Lone Wolf, Parker Mountain. Yeah, well, yeah. Parker Mountain's kind of like I run. Parker, Parker Mountain is a hybrid. Big fan, but they're 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 late to the game because I remember like Roland Special One is a two port KKM. Yep. Um, and they probably, I've always wondered what it was like at KKM 
which was like kind of a sleepy high-end competition shop when like oh we're fucking thursday morning let me check the we have 400 orders for two comp two port cops and glock 19 barrel guys what the hell happens like <laughs> like and like why are all of these going to fort bragg what the fuck <laughs> so um, but yeah no if you think about it because your third era was when of especially of comp guns was when people had to still had to buy aftermarket threaded barrels and attach that comp to it and kkm was the was the first one lone wolf had a comp shortly thereafter which looked just enough not like the kkm comp to not be a problem um and then you started seeing a lot of the other you know you saw a lot of people just be like i have a cnc press i can make a compensator with varying degrees of success and but that would that goes back to what jack was talking about when there were people it was you know a barrel and a comp you could probably get for 250 bucks but then you had to get your slide milled which was 300 400 and buy an rmr which is another 400 500 so you had a lot of people running around with these cool looking comped glocks with no optic i was one of those guys Fair enough. i i ran a glock 17 with a uh, tbrci comp which was this one of the first little mini comps did you have to get a shot for that jesus uh, I had to modify several holsters, and by modify, I mean the old Dremel came out, which is worse <laughs> than an STI. <laughs> um, no, it's staccato now. You can't call them STI. Yeah, anymore. yeah. So I, man, I remember whipping <laughs> that thing out and like shooting it, and I was like, okay, the cop does something, but I'm very nebulous as to what. Like now that I run a red dot gun, I'm like, okay, this is much flatter. Yeah, it tracks better. And they don't pay us. And I actually, I have never talked to the guys directly, but Parker Mountain Machining, their comp is muy, muy bueno, big fan of. I need to get one for my 320. I love their 320 comp, their little short guy there. Oh, the Um, one that actually like. I'm just waiting for it to come back in stock. I originally started working with those guys just because they made really good scar parts. And so I got some of those. Fucking scar and then they're like, ooh, look, we, we do this comp thing. And I'm like, and like most things with handguns, I'm like, hmm, I don't know, but me iron sights. And now I'm running comps and red dot guns and everything like that. Yeah, I so, like when I, I think Magwell and don't carry a reload a lot of days. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I even I, the revolverist of revolver people built a comp you know built a revolver around one of the two integrally comped models from smith and wesson because i was like everybody else do i should do too and then i did now what's interesting though is you know you talk about sort of the the eras of the compensator on the gun and i've got the name for this episode and it's going to be called compensating um the uh but you talk about the eras that you had and you had you know the aftermarket era which was kind of you know three and then you had this hybrid where you started to see stuff like the the parker mountain guys are a good example where the compensator design started to be more than just a block you screwed onto the end of the gun they started to try to integrate it with the actual features of the slide it was going in with like those were the guys who and you know this did great things like eliminating the need to time the compensator and stuff mm-hmm. like that which is hugely important um and now you have i think we're really in what really kicked off i think the the era for 
was when uh, staccatos became a duty gun. And that's, that brings us back to the meme because staccato, for people don't, that don't know, used to be a company called STI. STI used to make guns entirely for competition shooters. Uh, yeah, it's, it's primarily not for competition true, shooters. No, they did make some, uh, some other stuff, but the primary consumer of STI and their primary market was the competition yes. market. So, but you can like see there, there's stuff out there where like, it's like, oh, STI, that's just for competition guys. I, I came up in that. I remember being told like STIs are competition guns. They'll never run seriously. They choke all the time and their magazines fail. I'm like, yeah, screw them. I just need a Glock 19. And then I remember the first time I like saw a picture of a really cool dude and like in his Eagle industry nylon drop leg, I'm like, is that 1911? Now that's really fat for a night. That's a 2011. Now What's that also going is, on here? <laughs> now you're, you're, you're also, you can't skip over in this conversation. You can't skip over the para ordinance era when para ord was just making frames and they were making those 2011, they were making that double stack frame and lots of very serious people would buy that double stack frame and have their in-house gunsmith tune that shit so that it would work with their, you know, 45 uh, uh cal uppers or in some cases they're nine mil uppers you know th- things that like like hrt ran para ord frames for a while yes. that's that that is a no punk group of people so what happened was so sti they primarily made guns for the competition market there was some like they did have stuff that trickled into the serious face shooting world but it wasn't their bread and butter. There's some management changes. Some if, things happen. If, blah, blah, blah. if you need a comparison guy, think think about Schmidt and Bender on the optic side of things. Yeah. Schmidt and Bender made the original LPBO and they did it for face shooters. But their market in the US was entirely high-end hunting, high-end glass, yep. to the point that they never marketed the short dot to the, the rest of the US because they're like, oh, no, Delta got theirs. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> like we're good. So anyway, so... Fast forward, STI becomes this company called Staccato, and they start marketing their product as a duty carry gun. And they kept, you know, obviously the, the 2011 frame, and they brought over the first gun they dropped was that gun, and I forget what it was called when they were still STI, but it was the, the Costa gun that had the integral comp in it. And I forget what they freaking called it, but it was like when STI launched it, it was co-branded with Chris Costa. It, it was and... it was just called the Costa Ludus. I yeah. I had one at the job that I was at at the time. Do you have the 45 or the nine? We had the 45. Um I shot it and I liked it, but I couldn't get a holster for it. <laughs> Surprise. And I also did not want to like I did not want to be the guy that was like. Oh, what do you carry? I was like, I carry the Costa Ludus. Uh, I like Chris. I think he does a lot of really good stuff. I think he's a smart guy. I really don't want to pull out a gun with his name on it. No, I feel that way about. Learn. I feel that way about pretty much any branded collab like that. Like, and again, like you said, I like Chris a lot. I think Chris has been a net positive for the industry. Uh, And but I don't want to like. I don't want to carry the Costa Special Edition or the. I don't. I, I wouldn't want to carry the Costa any more than I wanted to carry any name any other 
influencer or trainer or whatever out there right now that has a branded rifle like this be mine like that's the general consumer market go nuts i don't care but yeah. i don't want the blank edition uh, right and, and that's just so and so and there's a i i do need to draw a distinction here though because uh you know i'm friends with ernest langdon with the some, case of something like ltt that's not the langdon edition they're just a manufacturer they just make guns when so, they happen to have it's the difference between like you know when you buy a knight's armament rifle it's not the you know trey knight special edition it's just a knight's armament rifle so i i equate it to like if a, if a trainer goes like hey i spec'd out something like this it's called like this thing you might want to consider it. those i consider like i yeah for sure i've had a chambers custom i'm about to order my second chambers custom i may want to really look at like the yeti two which is steve fisher's thing yeah but like steve fisher is really smart and he put that gun together and he said like hey here's this package that's the yeti but it doesn't have steve's face on it right or his I, signature or yeah i don't like have that. to like i don't have to like pull it up and like steve's face <laughs> is my reticle <laughs> well, like, yeah, that's i would point. i would feel very comforted by that i really would i'd be like oh no it's I, gonna happen i oh, i now oh, i now need to get with hollow sun because i i know oh, i know steve, steve knows the hollow sun guys i now need like, to get with hollow sun to get a special emitter of steve that is a good point because i think there's a difference yes. between like putting your name on a thing and having it be like the vanity limited edition versus like Cowan's got the rifle that he specced out with Cobalt Kinetics, I think. No, I don't. Uh, Sons of Liberty um, works. Sons of Liberty, right? Sons, so, but yeah, yeah. So, and like, I would trust Aaron to spec out a pretty fucking good rifle. So, if I was like, I need yeah, a good I, rifle, I've I can just. Yeah, I've seen the rifles. Like, he's just like, hey, yeah, these parts, and uh, let's do green. Right. And, yeah. And that was it. Other than so stuff like that, stuff like that, I'm okay with. But back to the Costa Lupus Ludus gun. Um, because it's the that was kind of your so that and then that then sti becoming staccato was kind of your transition into like phase four of the compensator cinematic universe where they are now coming as factory options you know you can get them on high-end guns i suspect that there will be a glock factory compensator within the next two years because sig's got one now does it look like a lot like the parker mountain one a little bit um <laughs> um but like you know sig i got sig. my first factory compensated one recently i got the new sig x macro which is the just them taking the slide from the specter i think it was mm -hmm. uh the specter yeah. 365 and then they put it on their 322 length frame and turn it into a very thin 17 round you know carry gun yeah and i will it's my first time seriously shooting a comped gun and it does make it, I don't know how much the comp makes a difference versus the fact that it's running a longer recoil spring assembly, but the combination of that does make the 365 go from a very um, adequate, very controllable gun to shoot, something that's not bad, into something that's genuinely pleasant to shoot. So there is absolutely something there. No, you're right, because I shot the, uh, the big version of that, the P365 Spectre comp. Mm -hmm. which I really, really, really wanted to hate because as we know, guys, I am an avowed hater of the P320 line. Uh, and having shot 
the 320 Spectre comp and also shot the M17 and the M18, I find the M17 and the M18 to be snappy and relative. And for a 9mm pistol, there's a lot more muzzle movement on those than I like on uh, 9mm. The Spectre comp, on the other hand, goes like this. And if you're listening to the audio version of this, I'm making a flat no uh, gesture with my hand because there's almost He's no making a muzzle flat noise with his hand. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> but that, I've had that's a one of the reasons me. why I want to thing. add the Parker Mountain to my 320 because I'm I'm running the 320 with the AXG frame, which already adds more weight, more mass, and makes it feel like a 226, which is why I got the AXG frame because I like the 226. Um, but now shooting the Comp 365, I'm like, no, nah, I'm gonna. I'm going to put this on the uh, 320 as well. And I'll go with the Parker Mountain one again for the reason Jack and you were saying is they're they're melding the compensator to the mm -hmm. slide of the pistol now. And that also makes it really compatible with holsters. So I'm not going to have to change my holster or I'm not going to have to change it much because uh, I think it'll drop right into my Safari land, no problem. Like, yes, it, it will yeah. fit. Actually, that's not true. You need to mod your Safari land um a little bit i i think that i think a little i had to modify my muzzle, 6350 like, orientation thing i might need to do that but the i'm running the compact slide and i think the compensator makes it full length slide so it might not require a mod so i i would say in general you're not wrong to buy a super bougie pistol these days no no i used to say that you were Ooh, treat yourself right i will say the more you shoot the more you're like man i'm just fighting for percentages here um and they're not wild percentages but they are percentages they do exist mm -hmm. um there is one thing you can argue do you need a, a compensator back and forth all you want i i think there's merits to both sides of it i, th I, think I, I do think at this point easy. though no we are done arguing about red dots they yeah did oh, you yeah. guys notice we didn't even talk about red dots in this because it, red dots on pistols are here guys uh i've figured out how to put them on revolvers at this point red dots on pistols they are here they're here to stay the technology the, is the, mature the, the, the best only... argument i've ever heard for the red dot because jack jack and i were both real hesitant to put red yeah. dots on our guns we were we hesitated we were probably a solid year behind the start of that arc because we're like eh, i don't know uh, I, had a, I had an rmr on an because we like we saw like the rmr failures the type ones that didn't have the shock controlled electronics in them we saw those break we knew they were expensive there weren't a lot of dots tailored to it at the time so we were hesitant to do that but the best argument i've ever seen uh to explain why red dots make sense on pistols is if the red dot sights and iron sights were developed in parallel the guys inventing iron sights would have been laughed off like <laughs> yeah. yours yours sucks. yeah no that's fair this is bullcrap you have to look at it you can't look at the thing you're trying like to kill every, i talked about everybody with the red dot would have been no no much easier red dot much much easier makes all the sense all right guys and on that note red dots are great competition shooting drives uh the gear development for elite special operations which drives gear development for high level civilians which drives gear development for the military which eventually trickles out to the mainstream that's the episode 
uh buy cool guns spend money support the sponsors like share subscribe uh definitely don't chain people up in your basement and force them to listen to these episodes and oh guys i have good news uh top gun maverick is now available on digital so i'm gonna watch that this week and i will report back all right that's it